We are continuing on in our Sermon on the Mount series that we started this past fall. So we are in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew still, and over our Lenten series, if you've been with us, we've been talking about what it means to lay some things down, to give some things up, and what it means to take on new things so that we can rely deeper on God, so that we can have a deeper relationship with Him. Now, I grew up in the Episcopal Church, so it was pretty common practice for us to give things up for Lent, uh, back even into my childhood. And I just have to admit to all of you that I'm not that great at giving up things for Lent. I, I found myself making caveats and finding ways around my giving things up often. Even back when I, I was around 10 years old probably, I had decided that I was giving up chocolate for Lent, which is a big thing for a 10-year-old Um, a 10-year-old or a 29-year-old to give up um, for Lent, and I announced this to my family. But three weeks into Lent, my mom looks on the counter and sees a a wrapper for a chocolate-flavored lollipop, and she looks at me, and she's like, Melissa, what is this? I looked at her, and I said, yeah, I gave up chocolate. This is a lollipop. (laughs) (laughs) Giving up things is hard. Sacrificing is hard, and that's why I'm glad that we have a both and this Lenten series, that we are giving things up to draw closer to God, but we're also trying to focus on what new spiritual practices we can take on to grow closer. Today we're going to talk about what it means for us to rely on God in a more whole way, what it means for us to place our whole selves on him. Our passage is from Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good? to those who ask him. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. This past week, Carrie Gleason preached an amazing message. If you didn't get to hear it, I encourage you to go back and watch it. She started off her message with a quote that I want to use again today. She said that reading a text out of context is a pretext for saying whatever you want. When we read scripture, we need the context around it. And if we don't have that context, we can kind of make it mean whatever we want. So, in an effort not to do that today, I want us to go deep into this passage. I want us to go all the way back to Genesis because this is a text about a father who gives good gifts to his children. And that father-child relationship that we're reading about in Matthew started long before Jesus came into the world. Back in Genesis 17, God creates a covenant with Abraham. He tells Abraham that in creating this covenant relationship with him, he is going to bless him with good gifts. He tells him that he is going to have land, that he's going to have descendants that would number the stars, a massive family, that some of those descendants would be kings, would be royal. 
that they will have the entire land that they travel. Blessing after blessing is poured upon Abraham when he enters into relationship with God. But the biggest thing of all is that when this covenant is created, in Genesis 17, verse 8, God promises, I will be their God. This is the biggest commitment that God makes to Abraham and makes to us, that he promises himself to us more than the gifts, more than the good stuff. He promises to go with us. We get to participate in this everlasting covenant with God. And part of that is that we can present our requests to him. We can ask and seek and knock. And God will show up for us in big ways. But if our relationship with God starts to be contingent on only those asking and seeking and knocking things, we can start to treat God less like the God of Israel, our father, and a little bit more like Uh, a little bit more like the genie from Aladdin. We can grab the lamp and rub and make some wishes and say, God, give me this. God, fix my health. God, get me a better job. God, change this family member of mine. We can start treating God in a transactional way in the moment that God does not follow through in the way that we want him to. The stakes are up. We ask, what's the point of this anyway if God isn't going to give me exactly what we want? I've heard people say that to me before. But that is not what God promises. God promises a covenant relationship where he gives himself to us. Now this passage that we're diving into today, I have to admit that it sounds pretty transactional. It sounds kind of like we can rub the lamp and that God's supposed to give us whatever we ask for. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. But there is more going on here and we just need to dig a little bit deeper to see how God calls us into covenant through this text. The whole passage hangs on chapter seven, verse 11 of Matthew. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good? to those who ask him. What Jesus is saying is that you and I, who it says evil, but broken, we're broken, we're sinful. We still like to give good gifts to people. I love giving good gifts to people. Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year. I like giving good gifts. He's saying, how much more will your father, who is in heaven and has heavenly riches, give what is good those who ask him. Now you may be reading from the ESV translation or the NIV translation and it may look a little bit different for you. It may say, instead of saying that your father gives what is good, it may say that your father gives good things or good gifts. This is the beautiful thing about reading deeply into scripture is that this is written in Greek. And in Greek what it says is agathos. Can you say it with me? Agathos. Agathos. This word means good, it's a noun, it is what is good. It does not say good things, it doesn't say good gifts in Greek. All it says is that God will give what is wholly good to us, which begs the question, what is it? What is the good that they're talking about here? And luckily Matthew answers that question for us. In uh, Matthew 19, verse 17, a rich young man goes running up to Jesus, and he says, teacher, teacher, what do I need to do? What good deed do I need to do 
in order to inherit eternal life. And Jesus looks at him and says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. For Jesus, God is the embodiment of what is good. So when Jesus tells us that the Father will give us what is good, he's telling us that he will give us himself. It may come along with some good gifts, it may come along with some good things, but God gives us a full understanding of who he is in covenant relationship with him. And if we need any more proof that that's really what is going on in this ask, seek, knock passage, if we needed more proof that this is about our covenant, the Gospel of Luke has a very similar ask, seek, knock passage. It's almost identical, but there's one distinct change. So read with me in Luke 11, verse 13. It's going to sound similar. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God gives us his Holy Spirit, and it may come along with gifts. It may come along with things, but bigger than any of that, God promises to be with us and to go with us. God calls us to ask and to seek and to knock, and then to trust that he will show up that he will go with us. I think there are three things that get in the way of our asking and seeking and knocking, and they are all rooted in doubt. So today we're gonna talk about what it means for us to lay down our doubts. First, our doubt that we actually need God to help us, because we're we're pretty self-sufficient as people. We like to do things ourselves. The second is that we doubt that our needs are actually important enough for God in the grand scheme of the world that my day-to-day needs are important enough. And the third thing is that God actually will show up. We doubt that if we ask him, he really will answer our prayers. So let's dive a little bit deeper into this. This first doubt is that we actually need God to help us. I like to think that I'm a pretty self-sufficient person. I like to problem solve. I like to figure things out. Uh, Two years ago, my husband and I embarked on a full remodel of our kitchen and a huge portion of our house. And so in the midst of the demoing process, I decided that I was going to take out our kitchen sink on my own. So... I watched some YouTube videos, as you do, (laughs) and I geared up, I got my glasses and mask and tools, and I was ready to go, and within a half hour, I was on the brink of tears and calling Ross Robinson, our head usher, to come over and fix our sink. (laughs) And as I was thinking about this, I realized that uh, so often, rather than asking for help ahead of time, we just wait till we're in crisis mode. We wait until there are hoses spraying all over the place and it's a disaster. It's so easy for us to pray for other people's crisis, to pray for our friends, for our neighbors, for our people in our small group and our family. We can pray for their needs all day long. But as long as my family is healthy and doing well, And as long as my job's going well and my health is good and the things that matter most to me, as long as those are going well, there's not much of a need to rely on God 
and to pray for them. So what we end up doing is we start to kind of compartmentalize our lives. And the moment that one of those things goes into crisis, the moment we lose our job or we have a health scare, then we hand it over to God as quickly as we can and we say, God, help me with this. But we end up parsing out our lives in the meantime. We say, God, you handle this, I'll handle the rest of it. And instead of being in covenant relationship with God and offering, offering him the good stuff, the stuff that's going great, as well as the hard stuff, we only throw him the stuff that we need help with. That is not a covenant relationship. What kind of relationship would that be with your spouse or your parent if you only shared the hard stuff? God wants all of us, the entirety of who we are, And in doing that, he wants to be a part of not just the crisis, but also the good stuff. The second doubt that can get in the way of our asking and seeking and knocking is that our needs are important enough or are big enough for God. And I think most of us probably watch the news fairly regularly. There is hard stuff happening all over the world, and in light of, of famines and wars and awful stuff. It can be hard sometimes to think that our day-to-day lives really matter enough to God. But in this covenant relationship with him, if he's going to be with us fully, he needs to be in our day-to-day, even in the small stuff and even in stuff that we may think of as being um, petty, the really small stuff. I, for example, I am someone who I don't like being late, um, I, just, I just never have liked being late. I'm a pretty prompt person. When I was in uh, kindergarten, actually, I was the, the star of the week one week. <laughs> and <laughs> so they have the, that person make a poster, and it has your name and favorite color and favorite things. And under the line, um, what you dislike... I wrote, when my mom makes me late, <laughs> just public shaming my mother across my kindergarten wall. <laughs> I, I, I've never liked being late, and so in this day-to-day covenant relationship with God, let's go ahead and say that mm, I'm running a little bit behind, and it's around 4 o'clock on a Friday, and I'm on 494. <sighs> what am I going to be praying about? Where's my heart going to be in that moment? I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to be trying to figure out how to get to where I need to get to and whether I should take a back road. And I'm going to be praying things like, God, help me get there when I need to get there and let it be okay that I'm running behind. And God, just help me. Help me not to be rash. Help me. It is okay to lift up those prayers. And I would even argue that God wants those prayers because those are the day-to-day rhythms of our lives. He doesn't want just the big crises. He wants to walk with us. And when we start to only lift up the big things, we're meant to pray about those. But when we only lift those up, we get into that, parsing out our spiritual lives again. Well, hand them part of who we are, but not the entirety Not the fullness of what we're going through. But that is what God wants from us. The last doubt that I think can get in the way of our fully asking and seeking and knocking, and I think this may be the hardest or most sensitive one, is that we doubt that God actually will show up for us when we pray to him. Um, Some of our prayers, if we're being honest, some of our prayers just, they don't get answered in the way that we want them to. 
We can pray and pray and pray, and for whatever reason, it feels like God doesn't show up, or God shows up in a way that we didn't necessarily ask him to. And it can be confusing to reconcile what that means in a life of faith. And what I want to say is that there are, I think, two different types of unanswered or differently answered prayers. The first um, is explainable. When I look back at my college admissions process, for example, it felt like there was an unanswered prayer. I knew the school that I wanted to go to, I was excited about going there, and I felt like God had me on the path to going to that school. So when I got an admissions letter saying that I was waitlisted to that school, and that there was a low likelihood that I was going to get in, I was heartbroken. I was really unsure about what this new plan was supposed to be, and I did not know what God was going to do with that. Over time, though, I can, see how, I can see how now God had a different plan for me. I can see that in the school that I went to, I met certain people, I had certain experiences, I went to seminary. God reconciled all of that together for the good, and it just makes a whole lot of sense that that prayer was answered differently. There are other prayers that may go unanswered that are not reconcilable at all, and I'm not going to tie this up in a bow or make it look pretty. There are just some things that happen that we can't figure out. I was a chaplain before I came here to serve at CPC, and I worked on a neonatal ICU as my very first unit, and the first time that I walked into one of those rooms, I will never forget the first time I walked into a room where there was a baby who was not doing well, and a mom who is praying with everything she has that that situation will change. When it doesn't, there are not easy answers for why that happens. We can't fix that. We can't pretend like it's okay or like there's a a newer or easier way to understand it. It just is what it is. And God promises to go with us through it. Still, he calls us to ask and to seek and to knock, even in the midst of those really hard places. I think that sometimes when we read scripture, I think we can kind of delude ourselves a little bit. Sometimes when we read all of the miracle stories and all of the healing stories, there are so many resurrections and so many beautiful ways that God comes in and fixes whatever is going wrong. But that's not all of what scripture offers us. There are so many passages in scripture where things are hard, where people cry out to God, and God says, I will go with you through this, but I'm not taking it away. The one passage that comes to mind that uh, we don't read very often, if you want to grab your pew Bibles, actually, and turn to page 1403. I'm giving you the page because I wouldn't wouldn't be able to find this myself if I cracked open the Bible. It is the book of Habakkuk. It is a minor prophet that does not get a lot of attention, but I think it's worth noting here. In Habakkuk, this prophet has been crying out to God because what he realizes is that Israel, the nation, is about to be rent apart by Babylonians. It is about to be pulled apart in exile. And we hear that word exile a lot, and I think it can be hard for us to think through the practical implications of what that would look like. There would be death, families would be torn apart, 
the nation would never be whole and together again in the way that it was before, it would be very, very devastating. In the midst of crying out to God about this impending exile, God doesn't say that he's going to fix it or take it away. God says that he will be faithful and that he will go through it with them. In response, in response to this devastation, this is Habakkuk's prayer in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. He says, though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, still I will rejoice in the Lord. Still I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Still we can rely on him. Even in the hard places, even when we ask and we seek and we knock, with the sensitive stuff, the stuff that feels like the stakes are so high, we can trust God with it. And we can pray that he will be faithful in answering it exactly how we want it to be answered, because he may. And if he doesn't, our God will be faithful to us, because we are in a covenant relationship with him. We are not called to parse out our spiritual lives, to hand over only some stuff, the easy stuff. We are called to hand over the hard stuff, the stuff that it feels like if it fell apart, we don't know who we would be or what we would do. God can hold it and will go with us through it. Jesus wants all of us. I can't help but think that when he came to earth, he, he knew what he was dying for. And he didn't just die for parts of us. And he didn't give only parts of himself. He came as a whole being and offered his entire self to us. And his prayer was that we would be able to give over all of ourselves back to him, not just in the crisis moments when we don't quite know what to do, not just in the the big stuff that we don't feel like we can handle. He wants to be with us in the small stuff and the good stuff. And he especially wants to be with us in those scary and hard places because he loves us and wants to redeem our whole selves. As we wrap up our time today, I want to ask you to take one of the connect cards out of the pews in front of you. I'm not asking you to fill it out. Turn it over to the, the pink side. Because you've already filled one out. Okay. Go ahead and turn it over to the pink side. I want to take a little bit of time to reflect on the different areas of our lives, the ones that are maybe we're holding on to a little tighter. The first question is, um, which parts of your life are you holding onto out of a feeling of self-reliance? Which parts of your life just feel easy, like you have them under control? You're taking care of it. And so God doesn't necessarily need to be a part of it. God wants to be in there. He wants to celebrate with you and be joyful with you in that. The second question Which parts of your life um, maybe feel a little too small or feel a little bit petty? And so, so it's hard to hand them over because you just wonder if God actually even cares. Which small things like a meeting coming up or a doctor's appointment or um, basement flooding 
or, or whatever it is that feels small, God wants to be there. God wants to help and be in it with you. The last thing, uh, which parts of your life feel a little too big? Which parts of your life are weighing heavily on you and handing them over to God would mean trusting him in a deeper way? Some of us feel that stress that just weighs us down, weighs on our shoulders, and we carry it with us instead of offering it over to God. Which relationship do you have that's just broken and hurting and aching and you wonder how it's ever going to be reconciled? God wants to be there in those hard places and to walk with you faithfully. I want to now invite Debbie up here to do our prayers of the people and to collectively lift up those cards.